Well, good morning. Uh, Happy New Year to you all. Uh, as we welcome in the new year, uh, we, we come to God this morning uh, thankful for the, the year that's passed, even though I'm sure it has been difficult, but hopeful for the year ahead. And as we look ahead, we'll be looking at the theme of holiness this year as a church. We're looking at the verse from First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 15, which says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That's really the meditation of our hearts as a church, as we look to be distinct uh, and holy, set apart as his people this year. So that's something that we'll be thinking about and certainly preaching into uh, today. Um, and as we come to, to worship the Lord, we're going to, uh, to read from Isaiah. Uh, speaking of the theme of holiness, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, which says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your majesty, for your awesome, perfect holiness, that you are holy, holy, holy the Lord Almighty. And Lord, we, we come this morning with hearts that want to worship you. Forgive us, Lord, for the, for the times in which we have wandered, times in which we have sought to live for our own glory and not for yours. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us by the power of your Spirit to fix our eyes on you, the one who gives us everything, who is holy, pure, and perfect. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Neil comes up to preach, we're going to read God's word, uh, reading from uh, 1 Peter, uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 16. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiled, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace 
and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that you have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Amen. Well, the beginning of the new year is an excellent opportunity to both look back and to look forward. And we did some of that yesterday in our day of prayer. Why do we look back? Because we want to remind ourselves of all that God has done for us, and particularly in a a challenging year. We want to be those who are grateful for his sustaining grace towards us. But it's also a good opportunity for self-examination. And if you're, a question, if you're a Christian, to ask yourself the question, to what extent have I grown in holiness over this past year? Is that a question? I wonder you, you ask yourself. 
If not, it should be, because as Christians, even though we, we know where we are going, our lives should be lived in preparation for that destination, in preparation to meet our holy God. As elders, when we were praying through, what we think we should, as a church, be focusing on this year, we agreed we should be striving for greater holiness. Holiness is all about being joyfully obedient to God, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, having a greater fear of displeasing him than displeasing the world, becoming more and more like Jesus, growing more and more in the fruits of the Spirit. The society in which we live is very clearly heading in a different direction, away from God. But as Jesus said, there is a, a narrow road that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. And the challenge for us, if we are Christians, is to stay on that narrow road. And the way in which we will know that, that we're on the road, is if our lives are marked by holiness. And so our verse from the year is from 1 Peter 1.15, as we've heard already this morning. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Or as it carries on in verse 16, and put more simply, be holy because I am holy. It's a simple command, but an important one. Because as it says in the book of Hebrews, in a different way, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The subject of holiness will throw up a lot of questions which I will try and deal with, not just this morning, but in the course of our different sermon series this year. But the question we will all need to ask ourselves is to what extent is holiness a priority in my life? Kevin DeYoung in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness, says this. He says, the hole in our holiness is that we don't really care much about it. My fear is that as we rightly celebrate and in some quarters rediscover all that Christ has saved us from, we are giving little thought and making little effort concerning all that Christ has saved us too. Shouldn't those most passionate about the gospel and God's glory also be those most dedicated to the pursuit of godliness? I worry, he says, that there's an enthusiasm gap and no one seems to mind. In addition to that book, I'd also recommend uh, the classic by J.C. Ryle entitled Holiness, and the subtitle is It's Nature, Hindrances, Difficulties, and Roots. Well, we'll be looking at the whole book of 1 Peter after Easter, but this morning I want to focus on this one verse, verse 15. And the verse breaks down into two sections, so that's how we're going to tackle it in this sermon. First of those is, Just as he who called you is holy. And the first question that raises obviously is what does it mean that God is holy? Well we see in the Old Testament that at the root of that word holy is to be set apart from everything that is evil or corrupt and separated to God. So for the Sabbath day to be holy to the Lord, it is separated from the, the other days and is dedicated to the Lord. Priests are are holy to God in that they are set apart from doing all the things that uh, the rest of the people did and dedicated in a special way to God. 
Next week we're going to be starting a series in the second half of Exodus, where God set apart Israel as his holy nation. He gave them the Ten Commandments, which set out the holy way of living for a nation that is set apart for God. They'll build a tabernacle, which again is set apart and holy to God. And so to call God holy means that he is set apart, he is distinct from everything that is evil or impure. He is perfect, he is uncorrupted. He is set apart from his creation, which has become corrupted. There is no other creator, no other sustainer, no other final measure of good and evil. God cannot change because he cannot be improved. He is already perfect. As it says in 1 Samuel 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And the amazing thing is that this holy God called you. Going back to 1 Peter, if we turn over the page to verse 9 of chapter 2, it says there, God called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He called you into his kingdom. He called you to belong to Jesus Christ. He called you to be holy. And this calling is like a a summons from the, the king of the universe who has such power that you could not possibly ignore it. It's not like the, the general invitation that goes out to all people and which some people choose to reject. This is an effective calling which leads to a spiritual rebirth. If you look back at um, verse 3 of uh, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it says there, when we are called, we are given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When God gives us spiritual life and causes us to be reborn, we are then able to respond to his calling in repentance and faith. What we're also told in Romans 8 is that uh, those he called, he also justified. To be justified is to be considered innocent or, or holy. And the way in which that happened is described in Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If we are Christians and we belong to God's holy people, we are saints. Saints in the Bible are not some sort of super holy people. They are those who put their trust in Jesus and become part of God's holy people. So the inevitable question arises then, if we are already holy, how can we become more holy? And this is a really important question and a a correct understanding of this is crucial to living a holy life full of joy and peace. When we put our trust in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross when he gave his life for us, God takes our faith in Jesus and credits Jesus' righteousness to us. And so he forgives our sins and he no longer counts those sins against us. We are declared just or innocent in God's sight, not on the basis of our our deeds, but on the basis of our faith in Jesus and what he has done. 
And as a result, we no longer face the penalty um, that we deserve for our sin. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin over our lives. In short, we've been saved. But we've not yet become free from the presence of sin in our lives, as we all know too well. And that is why when we're baptised, we're not saying, I've got to the point where I feel good enough for God. We're saying, I trust in Jesus. And because of my faith in him, God has declared my sins forgiven. And it marks the start of the journey of faith. The big question is, well, what happens next? If I've been declared innocent, I can't carry on living my life as I did before. I can't accept Jesus as my saviour without accepting him as my Lord. I now want, with the help of his Holy Spirit, to, to change the way I live my life. I not only want to be declared holy, I want to become more and more holy in the way I live my life. Justification is a work um, that is finished, that is complete, the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But the process of becoming more holy, what is sometimes referred to as sanctification, is a work of, of progressive change that will never be complete until we reach heaven. It concerns the moral renewal of our, our whole person. Another way of looking at the difference is that justification gives us a right and a confidence to enter heaven. Sanctification gives us a fitness for heaven and prepares us to enjoy it when we get there. Think of it like this. Think of it like applying to run the, the London Marathon. I'm not sure why anyone would want to do that, but apparently uh, nearly 500,000 people apply every year and only 17,000 are successful. If you are successful in your application, then you have a right to turn up on the day and enter that race. The thing is, if you get your confirmation of a place and you stick it in a drawer and do nothing over the next year, you may be able to enter the race, but your enjoyment of it is not going to be great, is it? On the other hand, if you spend the the next year training hard, you're going to, to look forward to that day approaching You're going to enjoy it all the more. Another difference between justification and sanctification is that if I say I truly believe in Jesus, no one really knows if that is genuine apart from God. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the work of God within us which will be clearly evident to those around us. People will see that we are different in the way we act. People will see if our behaviour is becoming more holy. Again, going back to the marathon illustration, if we've applied to take part in the marathon because we are committed to running, people will see us out training, taking it seriously. They will know we're doing all we can to prepare ourselves for that day. So what does this training in holiness look like? What is our role in this? Let's come on to the second half of that verse. So be holy in all you do. And the first thing to note here is that there is clearly a responsibility on us to strive for holiness. We don't just become Christians and then sit back and wait for it to happen. We have to work with God. What does holiness look like? Well, here are a few aspects of what holiness looks like. And one of those is joyful obedience to God. Verse 14 of 1 Peter 1 starts as obedient children. 
This is not obedient in the sense of reluctantly doing what you feel you have to do. As a child being told to tidy up your room or, or do the washing up, you really don't want to do it. But you're doing it out of obligation. Holiness delights in God's laws, knowing that they are designed for our good. Knowing they're pleasing to, to God. It means being able to say, as the psalmist did in 119, I rejoice in following your statutes. I meditate on your precepts. I delight in your decrees. It means hating what God hates. It means loving what God loves. And therefore studying his word more carefully to, to understand exactly what he does love and hate. And why he's told us to do certain things and refrain from others. It means worrying more about what God thinks of our behaviour than about what everybody else around us thinks. And although we may find it hard being different from the world around us, ultimately the more obedient we are to God, the, the more we will experience his joy and peace in our lives. Well, just as holiness means a joyful obedience to God, it means uh, conversely a hatred of sin. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But then he carried on, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Having been justified by God's grace, Paul has become more aware of the sin that is still at work in him. His conscience has become more, more sensitive. He knows it is displeasing to God and therefore it becomes displeasing to him. He can no longer simply ignore it. He can no longer pretend it so it doesn't matter. But pray for the Spirit to help him deal with it. Going back to 1 Peter Verse 14 continues, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When we become Christians and receive the Holy Spirit, we become aware of our sin. We no longer want to conform to its evil desires. Live by the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The acts of the flesh, he says, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, he says, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sexual immorality, according to the Bible, has always been any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And society has moved so far from that standard of holiness that as Christians we feel almost embarrassed to declare that we still believe it and still obey it. And you may think, well, well, I'm happily married, I, I don't feel tempted in that area, I don't get involved in orgies and, and drunkenness. What about discord? Or jealousy? What about selfish ambition? Or dissensions? How many of us can say we don't struggle with any of those? But I hope that if you are a Christian, you're able to look back 
and praise God that by his grace you are winning the struggle. That those things have less hold on your life than they once did. That you look at them and find them less enticing than you once did. Holiness means greater hatred of sin. It also means a greater desire for Christ-likeness. Having been saved by Jesus, we all want to become more like him in the way we live out our faith. Last summer we studied chapters 14 to 18 of the book of Luke under the, the, the title, Jesus the Revolutionary. The life Jesus taught his followers to live was radically different from the way people lived their lives in Jesus' day. And it's radically different from the way people live their lives today. To what extent do we find Jesus' way of living attractive? To what extent are we prepared to adopt such a a radically different way of living from the rest of the world? Jesus didn't just teach it. He lived it out. He taught his followers to forgive their enemies. And hanging on the cross, having suffered the greatest injustice in history, he, he said these words to his father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He told a rich man who had kept the basic commandments but who still worshipped his belongings more than God to sell all he had and come and follow him. Jesus had all the resources of the universe available to him. And yet while on earth, he had no earthly belongings, nowhere to lay his head. He mixed with the outcasts of society. He didn't hesitate to condemn the hypocrisy of those who were the so-called respectable in society. He loved his human family, but had a greater devotion to his heavenly Father. He taught his disciples to pray, but often withdraw to spend time with his Father in prayer. He taught them to submit to the will of the Father in heaven. And in his hour of anguish, he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He taught his disciples to take up their cross and took up his, literally. To be holy in all you do is to be desire, is to desire to be like Christ. And finally, it means a greater desire for the fruit of the Spirit. Full name of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And so to grow in the fruit of the Spirit is to grow in holiness. Some of the fruit are active graces, uh, love, Goodness, kindness. We're called to show others the, the same kind of love that Jesus showed to us. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, he said. Or in other words, by this will everyone know that you are holy if you love one another. To show love is to encourage the discouraged. It is to strengthen the weak. It is to rebuke the disobedient by pointing people to Christ. It is to show that love through practical acts of kindness for those in need. And it's great to hear of people in the church performing acts of kindness, often without any need of acknowledgement, other than seeking to be obedient to God and seeking to please him. Other fruits are more passive in nature. Peace. Patience or forbearance, as it's sometimes translated. Gentleness, self-control. How seriously do we strive to develop those fruit of the Spirit? 
in many ways. They're, they're harder because they are necessary when we experience hurt or injustice or unfairness, which we will all do in a broken world. All things which will strike at our pride. It is pride that is the default response of the world to uh, things going against us. It is pride that makes us angry, impatient, prone to make us us lose our self-control, to say or do something we might regret. It is pride that stops us forgiving or seeking reconciliation. It is pride that takes away our joy in the Lord. Jesus showed no pride, only humility. Well, if you're watching this this morning, and this is all new to you, you're not familiar with this, the teachings of Jesus, but what you do know, there's, there is something not quite right with your life. You feel trapped into doing things which your conscience tells you uh, are wrong. And you want to be released from that. You want to, you're seeking a way out. Well, Jesus is offering you a way out. Follow him, and he will lead you all the way to heaven. Get hold of a Bible, start reading at the beginning of the, the New Testament. And get in touch with us and we can help you with that, help you understand what it means. If you've been a Christian for a while um, and you're still struggling with the same sins, you may have taken one of two options. You may have tried to excuse the sins and uh, convince yourself, well, they're not really that bad. Or you may know they're wrong and just feel like giving up is just too hard. The command to be holy in all you do was never meant to be easy. The Bible teaches us that we are in a spiritual battle and we underestimate the enemies of Satan, sin and the world at our risk. But the good news is that we're not on our own. We're not defenceless. God has given us armour for that battle and we need to put it on every day of our lives. The belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we're called to pray at all times in the Spirit. And each small victory that we achieve over sin and temptation, each new growth in the fruit of the Spirit prepares us to enter the holy presence of God. However close we feel we are to our goal, maybe you are advanced in your years and you don't feel you have long to go, there is still potential to grow in holiness and to prepare yourself for meeting God. You may not be able to actively serve as you once did, but you can still seek to grow in holiness and encourage others in their growth. I pray that we will all one day be able to say the same as the Apostle Paul, as he said in 2 Timothy 4, and we'll finish with these words. The time for my departure is near. I've fought the good fights. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's pray.
Father God, we praise you that you are a holy God. There is none like you. And we thank you that you have called us into your kingdom. We know there's nothing in us that deserves to be called, but we thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of belonging to your holy people. We thank you that we are holy in your sight because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to grow in holiness, help us to love what you love, to hate what you hate, to be obedient to you and delight in that obedience. And, Lord, we pray that our lives would demonstrate more and more the fruit of the Spirit that we become more and more like Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that you give us the armour for that fight. Help us to take up the sword of the Spirit each day and to battle the enemy and to rejoice in the victory that uh, we achieve day by day, but to rejoice in the ultimate victory that Jesus has achieved for us and to look forward to that day when we will be with you in glory and receive that crown of righteousness that you've promised for us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray together to close. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Father God, we pray that you would help us by the power of your Spirit to help to display holiness in our lives, the fruit of holiness. You help, we pray that your, your, your spirit would lead us and guide us, that we would be able to bring you pleasure and honor and glory in how we live our lives. We pray that you would help us to crucify the old self, to die to the, the ways of the, the flesh, and to live in step with the spirit. We pray these things for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.